oftentimes the value of 74% or 86% information is just as valuable as 100%. And he's validating your point is sometimes you need perfect information, right? You're acquiring a billion dollar company and they're cooking the books or you're marrying someone and you haven't checked their credit score, right? Or things like that. There are, there's times when perfect information is necessary. And then there's times when it's not and it slows down your execution. So understand the value of perfect information. I think to your declarative statement, it's probably less than you think. Welcome to Pivot Me, where we give business tips and mental hacks so you can move past your biggest obstacles and live the life you've earned. And now your host, business advisor and performance expert, April Garcia. For years, I made large companies larger and rich people richer. Now I coach driven entrepreneurs to hack success, create more time and get better results through high performance habits, the multiply me method, and a little mental gymnastics. On Pivot Me, I talk to thought leaders and experts sharing our successes, our many scrubs, and how we can all use both to move us to the next level. Join us and learn real simple steps to pivot you and your business towards the life you've earned. This interview is on fire today, Pivoters. So much value. Get your pen ready because this is good. Today's guest is Scott Miller. He has a 25-year career with Dr. Stephen R. Covey's team in the world's most respected and influential leadership development firm. Scott fairly recently stepped out on his own and became a multi-best-selling author, radio and podcast host, columnist, and global keynote speaker. He continues to consult with Franklin Covey, and today he's adding value right here. He's going to teach us a lot about leadership, but it's like very applicable, like a framework, not theory. Theory doesn't often serve us unless we can put it into like, and here's what you're going to do on Tuesday morning. And he does that for us today. He's going to demonstrate how to have high courage conversations, discuss the undiscussable, and that part is gold. That's where you really need your pen for that. He shows us how to balance courage with diplomacy. And hint, this doesn't just apply at work. We discuss using the platinum rule, not the golden rule, and why the phrase, I don't know about that teach me more, is a game changer in business. You are going to love Scott Miller. Let's get into it. Welcome to Pivot Me Today, Scott Miller. April, thank you. Thank you for the platform and for the spotlight today. Absolutely. So I want to dig into your latest book, but before we do that, I would love for you to tell the pivoters a little bit about your transition. You've got this long, amazing corporate career with a company that I know you love, but you made this transition recently. Can you tell us what that was and why you did that? Yeah, maybe the biggest pivot of my life. So during the pandemic, after 25 years, I chose to leave a seven-figure corporate job that I'd spent 25 years investing in. I left on very good terms and have a consulting contract with a firm. But the pandemic changed a lot of our values, didn't it? It made all of us kind of think about what's important and where are we spending our time and perhaps where we should direct it? What are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? And I wanted to spend the next half of my career, the next 20 years or so, really doing things I was passionate about. And so I decided to make the biggest pivot of all. And I left an executive role in a public company. And now I'm an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, and building my own business and dealing with all those daily struggles and triumphs and setbacks and and that all of us live and lead with. So it's been an amazing experience to me. I think it's given me a more multidimensional look at how perhaps 
safe a corporate job is and how risky and rewarding an entrepreneurial role can be as well. Yeah. The highs are high and the lows are low, aren't they? Yeah. So one thing I would love to know is when you made this transition, Scott, you were doing really well there. Were people on board for this? Were your friends and family going, yeah, Scott, go do it on your own? Are they going, what are you thinking? Yes. I think, I think my wife certainly is a stay at home mom, very educated and qualified, but she works to run the family home, if you will. It's a full-time job with three young boys. So she was very confident in me. I'd thought about it for years. I discussed it openly with the CEO and the board that I wanted to make a transition. They were very supportive of me, primarily because I was transparent and vulnerable about it. I think I had behaved myself into a reputation of being trusted by them and They felt good about it. Not everything was perfect. There were some high courage conversations and some, you know, sticky points, but we, we separated very amicably. Like I mentioned, I'm still a very ambitious evangelizer and ambassador for the Franklin Covey company, still host their podcast for them and do different work for them. I think a lot of people were my champion because they were excited for me. They saw perhaps that I was maybe the Johnny Appleseed for their career, kind of taking a step out. I'm a bit of a risk taker. Um, I like to fail. I think failure is probably the biggest teacher in life. I'm not afraid of people watching me fail. For me, there was very little downside, economically big downside, but life is more about that. So for me, I had a lot of champions. At the end of the day, though, I couldn't believe in anybody else or trust anybody else. I had to believe in myself and I had confidence in my skills. I know I've been humbled a few times since then, but overall, my contribution has been well-received. So yes, it was sticky. It was messy. There were some clean parts, but I don't, I haven't looked back and I think it was the right decision. Yeah. Was there a particular moment that you're like, it's time to make the jump? Yes. You know, I read Liz Wiseman's book, Multipliers. I think it's the best leadership book ever written. And Liz Wiseman identified how as leaders, we are both multipliers and we're diminishers of others. In fact, she names nine specific accidental diminisher tendencies. I read that book and I said, I need a break. I've been leading people for 30 years and I, and I think they needed a break from me and I needed a break from them. And we're all still very good friends. They come to my launch parties for my books. So I consult and support them. But I think I needed a break from the grind of leading people for three decades, hiring and firing and interviewing and high courage conversations. I was burnt out and I didn't want to retire on the job. I respected them all too much. I could have easily skated on for three or four more years and collected a fat paycheck and done a decent job. But life's too short to do anything less than excellent, including failure, including making mistakes that you learn from and can teach others through. So I think it was Liz Wiseman's book, Multipliers, that was the impetus behind my big pivot. Wow. That's awesome. It's, it's amazing when you can actually pinpoint something. I, I love this concept of this high courage conversation. Can you expand on that a little bit? Well, I think it's one of the top roles that a leader has. I think a lot of leaders fall into the trap of thinking their job is mission and vision and values. Yes. And systems and structures and strategies. Yes. But I think the two top jobs of a leader are to recruit and retain quality talent. Talent that is, in fact, noticeably, palpably better than your own is to check your ego and hire people who are more competent than you are and keep them. Second, I think the biggest gift that a leader can give to any of their employees or team members is feedback on their blind spots, facilitating high courage 
conversations that may require you to move outside of your own comfort zone to discuss the undiscussables. Might be about their performance or their interpersonal skills. Might be about their personal hygiene or about their inability to take responsibility for their mistakes. Any number of things. As a job, this is one of your top two contributions is to have the courage balanced with diplomacy to discuss anybody's blind spots and how you can help them overcome them to serve not just your company, but perhaps their next employer as well. Yeah, that, that's so powerful, Scott. So when I think about this high courage conversation, so if, if someone's listening right now and they're faced with a high courage conversation, and then I want to I wanna discuss your books, I'm super pumped to talk about that. But if someone's faced with, I need to have a high courage conversation. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any techniques to share? Any ways to, okay, let's do it. I do, I do. First, reframe it. Not I have to, I get to. Because most of us dread these. I get to be an influence in this person's life. I get to sit them down and discuss some of their own self-defeating behaviors. I get to build in them a bigger self-awareness that's going to improve their contribution, their brand, our business. Reframe it as I have to, to I get to. This is a gift you're giving them. Second, I think you should be very deliberate and not confusing facts with your own emotions, opinions, and feelings. Both of them are legitimate, but oftentimes as leaders, we fall into the trap of masquerading our feelings and opinions as facts. So you should use the right words. Last week in our team meeting, you said this to Alicia, and that was very diminishing to her. Versus, I feel like you're disrespectful to Alicia. So be very thoughtful about giving feedback based on facts and opinions. I think it's important for you to give redirecting feedback and reinforcing feedback. All your feedback cannot be critical. Make sure that you are consistently giving people reinforcing feedback. Excellent job. Do more of that and also reinforcing feedback. Less of this and more of this. Now, is that in the same conversation? Like, are you talking about the whole sandwich thing? Not necessarily. Okay. I, I know that I'm all caught up into the sandwich thing. I get it. I know it. I've done it. I violated it. I perfected it. So, no, I think sometimes you just walk in and you say, April, thank you for coming in today. I need to have a high courage conversation with you. This is a bit uncomfortable. Mm, so you set the expectation. Okay. I need to have a high courage conversation with you. My intent is not to embarrass you or diminish you or to minimize you. In fact, my intent is to help you understand there are some certain behaviors that you're engaged in that are both minimizing your contribution and your brand. And quite frankly, they're holding our company back. My intent is to help you build the skill set to where you can have a very successful career here. And in fact, I might even use the wrong word, so I might need a do-over. But April, I'm noticing that on every Monday's meeting, that when it comes time to review your contribution, you often have an excuse of why it's not done. And like many of us, we tend to fall into the trap of blaming others or providing excuses. But I need you to know, you get the point, right? That you, you, you declare your intent, you discuss the fact that your job and your role is not to embarrass them or minimize them, that you want to help them, that you're going to do your best to draw upon facts, not just your emotions or opinions, but you do it in a way that balances courage with diplomacy. Know what it's like to be on the other side of a discussion with you. Someone recently once called me ferocious, and it wasn't a criticism. It was just analysis of me. And I thought, you know, they're right. I don't know what it's like to be on the other end of a feedback session with me or 
what it's like to be married to me. My wife can tell you it's probably quite troublesome some days. (laughs) The other day, she benefits from my ferocity when it's, you know, to her advantage, right? With someone who's taking advantage of us or a contractor or a landscaper. Sure. So I think, ask people, what's it like to be on the receiving side of my personality? What's it like to work with me or for me? Understand your positional power, your your, your, your voice, your rate, your tone, your pitch, your animation, your physical presence in the room. These are all things that are related and variables to you having an effective influence during one of these high courage conversations. I love that. I mean, this is pivoters. That was a framework on how to have every difficult conversation you ever need to have. That was amazing. I, I love that. So I'm so glad that we went into that a little bit. So yeah. You know, April, this is a gift you give to your people. Sure. People don't quit leaders who love them. And if you could, I say that appropriately, obviously, if you can establish the rapport with those that work with them, that they trust you, they trust your intent, they trust that you aren't going to have a conversation and manipulate them to minimize them, or you're going to then share this conversation later with a number of member of your team. No, you are, you have behaved yourself into a reputation of being trusted, this will provide you the the platform, the basis from which to influence them. But if you are a leader that discusses people's personal business with others, they won't trust your intent. Sure. You have to make sure that you both declare your intent, but that first you've analyzed your intent. You know, is my intent to capitalize on this person? Is my intent to embarrass them? That doesn't mean you're a bad person. It means you need to confront your motive before you declare it. Because don't declare your motive as no, noble or, 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 or noble, but have your motive be nefarious because you'll be, you'll be found out if they're incongruent. Yeah. So what I'm hearing for successful leadership, for this, this excellent that you talked about earlier, there's got to be a lot of self-awareness. And I think that's the piece that sometimes we can miss, especially as entrepreneurs. I think that when we're moving up in the corporate space, sometimes we're kind of evaluated for that. But when we're in an entrepreneur space and suddenly we're CEO or founder, we didn't necessarily have all the gates we had to get through to make sure that we had those leadership skills. So what I'm hearing is just a lot of self-awareness and be aware of what it's like to be in relationship with you. I'm always shocked when someone comes up to me after a keynote and they'll say, I loved your speech because I'm so self-aware. And I think, yeah, that probably isn't true. The fact that you said that. So A, (laughs) stop saying you are self-aware. Stop thinking you are self-aware and go out and ask trusted people. What's it like to be married to me? What's it like to go golfing with me? What's it like to work a trade show booth with me? That's when you will become self-aware. Okay. So let's say you do that, right? I love this idea. So let's say you do that. Then what happens? You get feedback from five people that, you know, your spouse, a coworker, then what happens? Well, some things have to happen first. You have to make sure that you create a safe environment for them to tell you the truth. Because most people will lie to you. Not because they're a bad person, because they are a person. So what is you have to make it safe for them to tell you their truth? Say, you know, I have found that sometimes I'm not received as I perceive I am. And I'd love to know what your perception of is me on this particular topic. Don't give them broad range. Say, I, you know, in, in the context in which you know me, what is some constructive feedback you would give me on how I could be better at this, this, or whatever it is? So you kind of fall on the sword first is what I'm hearing. Is like sometimes- I think so. Okay, all right. Yeah, I think you have to make it safe for them to take a risk. And then once they stop speaking, you do not say a word. You don't refute it. You don't explain it. You don't defend it. You don't deny it. You don't say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, when April's in the foursome, she talks, no, no, no. You just write it down. 
you find yourself in a position where you're writing it down. When they are done, you say, is there anything else? And then you say, wow, that took some courage. Thank you. Thank you for taking a risk to share that with me. That was so valuable. Could I ask you a couple of questions? Sure. When I'm doing that or saying that, what do you think is going on with me? Do I seem jealous? Do I seem threatened? Do I seem scared? Do I seem like I'm in over my head? This is so valuable for me. I'm sure you must have some perception or analysis of why I do that. Could you take it a step further and help me find what situations do I do that so that I can be more aware of that and avoid that in the future? That's the next step. The third, the final step, thank them and then let them catch you either not doing it in the future or implementing the new behavior. Let them catch you behaving in accordance with their feedback because now they will be convinced that wasn't just a fake feedback session, that you really believed it, and then they will become your biggest defender in a different conversation. Because when someone else is talking about you, they will say, you know, that's so interesting because just two weeks ago, I found Scott to be really humble in a feedback session. He actually asked me for the feedback. He took it really well. And I actually saw him changing in the next meeting. Have you given Scott that feedback? Well, no, 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 no. Well, instead of telling me, you ought to go tell Scott because I've actually found Scott quite willing to, to change. You will create brand ambassadors for you left yes. and right. And you will create detractors if you ask for feedback, interrupt, deny, deflect, defend, and then go back and do the same thing. And they'll say, yeah, never touching that again. Yeah. So as we're listening, this is not just feedback for business, guys. This is feedback for for life. Man, as I'm sitting there thinking about it, first I apply it to me and my leadership ability. I'm sure my team is all listening and going, April, when are you going to ask us for this kind of feedback? I will, team. I will. But I also think about how different my sort of career trajectory would have been if I had leaders like this. If I had leaders that really welcomed this, I mean, how important is it for leaders to embrace this? It takes courage on both sides, both, you know, you have to create that safe space, but how many leaders are willing to operate at that level of vulnerability? I've never had one. I have been that person because I, I, I this is a, you know expertise of mine, but you're absolutely right. I mean, I told you it's so important. It's the, I think it's second most important job as a leader. Wow. But, but if you want to be credible and giving others feedback, you have to set the conditions for them to give you feedback. Because what happens is, is when you're giving your employee a fee some feedback, they're thinking of all the things that you do wrong. You're immediately thinking, oh, if you only knew, right? That's why you have to be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. Ooh, love that quote. As a leader, your job is to model all the behavior that you want to see in your team members. That's why not everyone should be a leader of people. It is a tough, unrelenting job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just because you can do a particular job doesn't mean that you can lead others in doing that particular job. Completely different skill set. Let's just be clear on that. Completely different skill set. That isn't your job. Your job isn't to be better at someone's at someone else's job. Your job is to inspire and lift. Your job as a leader is to achieve results with and through other people not rush in and save their job, not do their job for them, but achieve results with and through them. And that takes a lot of coaching and feedback. It's different for every person. For sure. I heard someone once use on me the golden rule, you know, treat others as you want to be treated. No, that's a bunch of bunk. 
Don't treat people how you want to be treated. Use the platinum rule. Treat them how they want to be treated because everybody wants to be treated a little bit differently. And you can treat people differently and still treat them equitably and fairly. But everybody, I mean, are you a parent, April? Yes, I am. I'm a parent too of three boys. Radically different. I, I, totally. I coach them differently. I speak to them differently. I give them feedback differently. I treat them fairly and equitably. But just like you're as a leader, you cannot whitewash your leadership style across everybody and expect for them to assimilate to your style. It's 2021. It's the great resignation. They'll quit you in a heartbeat. Yeah, so true. And if you don't think your people are being recruited by your competition right now, you got your head in the sand. Yeah, that's a good reminder. That's a good reminder. And I love this idea of treat people as they want to be treated because as humans, we want to be seen and heard and appreciated. And you can give them all of those things as a leader, but first you have to know what they value. You have to know what their style is and how to best recognize them. I think I think the old style of leadership used to be as the leader, everyone has to accommodate me. Yeah, assimilate to my style. That has flipped. As the leader, you are now the most agile, nimble, and flexible person of the company, and you are modifying your style to everyone's needs. And if you can't do that, you won't last. So we're having to pick different leaders, right? Because I think the people, I mean, I think the people that probably you and I grew up with who are leaders, they were not agile. They would have a very hard time with this. They were the experts in the job that they did, and they were promoted up to the next level because that's how people became leaders. And that is not how the future of leadership is going to work, even in small startups and entrepreneurial companies. That's a good piece. Okay. It's why most founders of, of companies shouldn't necessarily be the leader. Yeah, You true. might be the owner and the founder. Because they're the visionary. Right. You're, you, right. You might, be the chief, you might be the chief innovations officer, the chief brand officer. You might be the person who mortgaged your entire home. That doesn't mean you need to be the leader of people in your company. You might need a bit of self-awareness and ego to say that isn't your best skill set or job. In most cases, it's not. Yeah. No shame in that. Find someone whose strength that is. There's someone that loves doing that, that that's in their kind of their genius zone. This is a natural ability for them. You don't have to operate all the roles in your company. In fact, if you do, you will bottleneck yourself. Amen. Hallelujah. I think when I look at entrepreneurs that have had some success, perhaps they're into six, seven figures now, multi-decades, I think the best organizations are where the founder, the owner, is now like the CEO emeritus. And she is on the evenings coaching the CEO or coaching the director behind the scenes. Well, here's what I think I would do. Have you thought about this? And let that person with the people skills, if that's not your natural talent, let them go run the day-to-day. I mean, how many companies have been driven into the ground because the CEO was the engineer or the data scientist or the great salesperson, but their natural strength wasn't recruiting and retaining talent? Know where your strengths are. That's not their skills. Staff for weaknesses. You have to staff for weaknesses. You don't have to go out and get that skill set. You have to hire for that skill set. We should go in business together. We should. God, we'd be so good. You're so smart. We so, well, I was thinking the same thing about you, Scott. I also know you're a voracious reader. So we got that like big time book nerd. I so know. many bookshelves in my house. So we have that in 
common, but speaking of books, you just released Master Mentor. Let's talk about Master Mentors. Let's talk about let's talk about the book and let's talk about who it's for, Scott. So if someone's listening right now, how do they know this is the book for me? So the book is Master Mentors, 30 Transformative Insights from Our Greatest Minds. I am privileged now to host the world's largest weekly leadership podcast uh, over three years. It's a juggernaut for Franklin Covey. I'm honored to be the producer and host of it. Uh, after 175 interviews every week without skipping for three years, what I realized, April, was that so many of the insights were shared in the two or three minutes before we went on air or the five minutes after we went off air or in the green room metaphorically. And I said, oh my yes. gosh, where, where was that when we were on air? I had you, why didn't you share that? So with their permission, I highlighted 30 of the first 170 guests. The book is in paperback, audio, digital, and print. And there's going to be nine, nine more volumes. There'll be nine in this every year, another one with 30 more mentors. I pick people from all walks of life. Some are celebrities, some are best-selling authors, some are four-star generals. Some of them aren't household names, but they have an expertise in an area that is just transformational but I chose to highlight them, different races, genders, background, nationality. The book is for anyone that needs to change. You need to change your results. You need to change your behaviors. You need to change your mindset, your paradigm, your beliefs. The book is very episodic. One chapter is talks about brain health. One is about messaging. One is about branding. One is about your circadian cycle, your, your peak, your trough, your recovery. One is about branding. Summer is about extroverts and introverts. It's very episodic. Shockingly, one of my first publishers said, nah, it's too episodic. Well, HarperCollins picked it up. It's been number one on Amazon. It's category now for three weeks. Oh, oh, just HarperCollins? Oh, just them? Okay. Oh, well, Har- <laughs> well so uh, That's anyway, amazing. Thank, you. thank you for the compliment. Not everybody's restaurant's for everybody. Not everybody's soap is for everybody. This idea of, you know, a total addressable market is thought up by some MBA professor. I really think Seth Godin, the marketing genius, who's a friend of mine and one of the 30 mentors, he taught me the concept of knowing your smallest viable market. Who are this, what is the smallest number of customers, readers, podcast listeners you need to be viable to thrive? And so I think this book is for people who are looking for change in their life and they want a short, easy, breezy read. It's kind of like chicken soup for the leadership soul where you can read one chapter a night for 30 days. These are short, funny, breezy chapters where not every transformational insight will you think is transformational. It will hit you differently if you're just coming off a divorce or you've just raised more money or you've just had a setback or you've just been promoted or you've just acquired a firm or your your competition is kicking your you-know-what. Most authors write the book that they need to read In so many ways, I did that as both a parent and a spouse and an entrepreneur and setbacks and and some leaps forward. But I wrote it in a way that I think the busy, fast entrepreneur could read it very quickly. You can start with chapter 13 because that one speaks to you or go back to chapter one or skip to 38. And I wrote them in a way that I think you can immediately apply it into your life by recapping the transformational insight and asking a very provocative question around how will you apply this into your life? Yes, I love that idea. That's something we do on Pivot Me all the time too, is we present an idea in our solo podcast and then we say, okay, now it's time for us to turn the microphone around on you. How are you applying this? So I I love how applicable it is. 
Scott, if someone, if a pivoter is listening right now and they're 45 years old, they're a business owner, they've had, you know, some success under their belt, but they know that they're ready for some more change. They, they've done some work, but they're ready to do some more work, but they're just not exactly sure what that next step is. What's the story that you're like, that's the one they've got to read? You know, Whitney Johnson wrote several books, including one called Disrupt Yourself. And she's one of the 30 master mentors. That's a big podcast. She has a book called Disrupt Yourself. And she uses a lot of psychology and business principles on, on, you know, at what point do we find that we're fatiguing? What motivates us? She has a, a methodology called the S curve of learning, like a big S on its side and kind of helping to identify when are you getting complacent? What are the signs? What types of things challenge you? So I would argue that the chapter on Whitney Johnson called Disrupt Yourself, knowing the signs, knowing when are you getting kind of um, itchy and, and irritable, when are you ready for a change? It's a great chapter on just the power of disruption. I think most people, to quote Rachel Hollis, most people don't fear failure. They fear having other people see them fail. So in many ways, I think it's important to understand what's holding you back. What are the risks that you should take and calibrate? And I think Whitney's chapter might be the best one for that. Only 3% of speakers, podcasters, and authors make enough money to do it as a full-time career. 3%. Man, that's bad. I came from the big business world, and if I wanted to scale my speaking career and release courses, I knew I needed more than just case studies and metrics. I actually needed a personal brand. Brand Builders Group is a personal brand strategy firm for thought leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs, and they work with some of the biggest names. They help clarify your message, expand reach, and increase revenue while monetizing your personal brand. I still do their monthly consulting package, but I've also done their workshops, webinars. They're all great. Don't be part of the 97% who can't afford to do the work they love full-time. Connect with the same team I hired to help me. Check them out at pivot-me.com backslash partners and get on their schedule for a free call. You know, it's funny because one of the practices that I do in my own business is I ask, so we talk about all the ways that it could go right and all the opportunities in the upside. And then I say, what's the worst case scenario? What's the worst thing that could happen with this project, this initiative, this whatever the whatever it is that we're facing? And if we can make peace with the worst case scenario, if we put words to it, once we've named it, it kind of lessens its power over us. So we're like, all right, this is how bad it could go. True. This is the Death Star Fire. To, to, to reinforce your point, one of my many guests was Matthew McConaughey. Is this a many reason why we have to be friends, Scott? Is that what you're about to tell me? Okay, let's do it. It's because I'm just, I'm simply validating everything that you say. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's my, that's my job here. You're you welcome. are good at PR. Matthew McConaughey was one of my many guests. He, of course, wrote this amazing book called Green Lights. You know him as an actor. Such a he good book. A, yeah, he is an indisputable, best-selling author. Um, he's going to be a master mentor in volume two. And a, a bit of a spoiler alert, one of the, the transformational insight was on the podcast, he said something, I'll loosely quote, he said, you know, one of my friend's uncles, he was 90 years old, and I asked him, what's his biggest lesson in life? He said, you know, I spent my life basically being paralyzed by thousands of problems. That never happened. Wow. And I think it's so powerful, right? I mean, as an entrepreneur, I'm constantly living in the future. Like what could go wrong and what risk? And if they do this and I'll do that, I live in the future. I don't live in the past or the present. That's good and bad. 
Yes. But I think as entrepreneurs, a lot of us live in the future because we're anticipating what could go wrong. Well, if this happens, I'll be, and there's benefit to that. But there's also a bit of paralysis from, that comes from always thinking about what could go wrong. To quote this gentleman, I lived my whole life in fear of all the problems that never came true. It's amazing. And what's interesting is we're not afraid of like accidental death or dismemberment. We're afraid of someone watching us fail. It goes back to like the number one fear being public speaking. We're afraid someone's going to see us make an idiot of ourselves, which what's the big deal? But that's what, what drives so many of us. I think to recap that point, Gary Keller, uh, as of like Keller Williams, the largest we'll say from the world, he wrote a book called The One Thing. It's one of my favorite. It's an amazing book. Excellent book. And Gary says, this is a great question. As an, as an entrepreneur, what's the business that's going to put us out of business and how fast can I build it? And there's so many ways to apply that into your life, right? What is the business that's going to put me out of business and how fast can I build it? Yes. And that may be a little bit lofty, but you can bring that down you know, a lot of levels to ask yourself, what are my fears? How legitimate are they? And how quickly can I snuff that out? to move on to the next opportunity. It reminds me of, I don't know who initially coined this, but the whole, you know, when you're talking about your sort of negative thoughts or your fears, is this true? Is this absolutely true? Like asking that question kind of repeatedly because a lot of the stuff. I think I said that. I, I think, I think it was me. Yeah, I think so. It was you. I thought so. I mean, I haven't seen it like in a quote card yet, Scott, but you really want to brand that. Just okay. On I'll put it on you. Um, assumed to be said by Scott. So getting into this entrepreneurial world, we talk a lot about self-sabotage on Pivot Me. I would love for you to share either something you've noticed in the mentors that you're speaking to, or maybe something that you've personally done that it's like, this is how we're getting in our own way. Well, I think I kind of said it earlier, which April is, you aren't the smartest person in the room. Your job is not to be the expert at everything. Your job is to be not the genius, but rather the genius maker of others. That's good. So I think as a leader... You have to recognize that vulnerability is a leadership competency, just like innovation, just like calculating EBITDA. Oh, say that again. Say that again. Vulnerability is a leadership competency because humility is an outgrowth of confidence. Confident people are capable of being humble people. It's arrogant leaders that are incapable of humility. So the most powerful leader is the one that walks in and says, I've made a major mistake. This is not the path we should take. I'm open to other ideas, or this is not my expertise. I need to learn that. Ann Chow is the CEO of AT&T. She's number 44 of AT&T's most powerful women in business. She's one of the master mentors. She runs a $30 billion division of AT&T. And she's common for saying, I don't know about that. Teach me about that. I've heard her say this hundreds of times. The CEO of AT&T Business, an Asian-American female, the first ever non-white male female CEO in AT&T's history. I've heard her say dozens of times, I don't know about that. Teach me about that. This is vulnerability. This is leadership in action. I think self-sabotage self is feeling like you're supposed to be the expert in everything. No, you're supposed to go find the experts, bring them in, let them teach you and then ignite their genius so that they choose to stay and keep discovering and teaching you more things. Vulnerability is a leadership competency. Scott, is this something you've always known and always practiced? 
I have for the last, no, I was often threatened by people, you know, insecure that they knew some things, you know, to quote Rachel Hollis, knowledge isn't power. Knowledge applied is power. Yes. It's potential power. Yes. Yeah. And so, no, you know, I'm 53. I've matured a lot in the last three or four years. One thing I've learned from all of my guests on the podcast and the book is that there's no such thing as overnight success. There's overnight fame, which is fleeting, but there's no such thing as overnight success. And, you know, I was a C-level officer for a decade before that, 20 years in business, 30 years of experience, 30 plus years. Most of us, when we say we have 30 years of experience, we really have one year repeated 29 times. (laughs) So true. So I try to reinvent myself and my thinking and challenge my thinking. I champion my mistakes. I I wrote a whole series of books called Mess to Success management mess to leadership success, marketing mess to brand success, job mess is coming out next year. These cards that I have. They're upside down, April. They're upside down. God, I had one job, Scott, one job. I saw you speak at Rise Business in Charleston. Oh, you did? Oh, thank you. Yeah. And that's the first time I saw you speak. And I was like, oh, it was so good. Yeah. And the cards were amazing. Enough that I would carry them around. Well, not carry them around. I mean, let's not overdo it, but they sit in my desk. They sit at my desk, prominently featured. They should be sitting on your desk, not in your desk. Yeah, no, they're, yeah, I'll move them. I'll move them. No, so I've not always had that level of maturity. My wife would say I still don't, but she stepped out. So I can say, yeah, it's fine. You can say whatever you you want when she's not in the room. Self-sabotage is minimized when you realize you don't know it all. And you're not supposed to. And I tell you, you you ignite people's genius. You ignite their engagement when they know you're not trying to be the genius, that you are vulnerable and humble to say, well, I don't know about that. Teach me about that. What should I know about that? Because you're leaving space for them to come in and like That's it. Uh, to highlight yeah. their own experience or genius. Can I share a quick thought with you? Yeah. One of the mentors is a woman named Karen Dillon. She's the former editor of the Harvard Business Review. Not too shabby. Sure. And she co-authored a book with the famed Harvard professor, Clayton Christensen, called How Will You Measure Your Life? An extraordinary book for entrepreneurs and CEOs. How will you measure your life? The book basically takes proven business principles and applies them to people's personal lives. In the book, they share research from a fellow Harvard business professor that says, now I want all your listeners to listen to this very carefully. The research shows that 93% of organizations that end up achieving financial success do so with an emergent strategy, not the deliberate strategy they set out with. Only 7% of the time is the original idea or the product of the strategy the one that achieves success. 93% of the time, empirically, it's a new idea. It's a pivot. It's a change. It's a disruption. It's, well, that didn't work, so who else has an idea? And I'll bet you these these founders and CEOs had an uncharacteristic level of maturity where they were open to feedback. They were willing to change their mind. They were willing to check their ego and sit around and say, well, whose idea was that? Oh, yeah, it was mine. Uh, Who's got a better idea? That's the kind of person people want to lead. People want to work with. They want to not quit. So I'd argue to all of your listeners, to the extent you are the CEO or the founder, 7% 7% of the time, your idea is going to work. And 93%, it's not. The question is, how fast can you recognize it and pivot? 
So what I heard is a pivot is necessary for success. At least in 93%, you heard it first here, pivot's necessary. How's that for branding? It was good. I like how you landed that plane. So Scott, let me ask you this. Having had all the conversations you had, both in Master Mentors and also just through you know, the interviews that you've done, so many of them. Recently, I was talking about some of the through lines that I've noticed with my guests. Someone asked me, hey, what's something that you noticed amongst all your guests? And, you know, been successful, where is it? So there's certain things like morning routines and things like that, that just sort of give them this personal edge. But one of the things I said was speed of execution. That's something I've noticed over and over again. Tell me what's a through line that you've seen in these people. I have two. One is an indefatigable work ethic. I didn't say they were workaholics, but they are very hard workers. They recognize that you don't have a right to be in business. You have to earn it and re-earn it every day. That doesn't mean that they work 90 hours a week, but it might be that they do. But they, you know, they play hard. They work hard. They have life balance. But I, I've interviewed some of the biggest authors in the world. They're, doing, they're still doing eight or 10 podcasts a day 20 years in. Wow. The second is they have an abundance mentality. They generally want other people to succeed. They are not scarce thinkers. They're, they coach, they mentor others, they lift others up. They just inherently have an abundant mindset. They don't see the competition as the enemy. They see the competition as someone you can learn from or partner with. They, they just have an abundance mindset. They look at life through a different lens, through opportunities. Those are the two through lines for sure. That's huge. I have a couple follow-up questions, but before I go there, I want to ask Scott, where is the best place that you can get master mentors? So we've heard the, the story that we absolutely need to read. We've heard the through lines for some of them. Where's the best place to go to get it? Whatever book retailer you want to support, whether it's your mom and pop on Main Street, whether it's Amazon because they've been good to you and you own their stock and you have a friend who works there and is earning a good living, whether it's Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, the book is uh, for sale anywhere and everywhere in digital, audio, and in print. If for some strange reason you love my voice, I do read the audio so you can get a couple more hours more of me. But it's on Anywhere Audible. books are sold. It's on everywhere. And it's soon to be turned into a video book. So there's a new publisher called Lit Video, L-I-T Video, that is convinced that the future of book readership is going to be book viewership. Ooh. So they are selecting up and coming authors around the world and they're turning books into one hour long videos. And in 2022, the uh, Master Mentors book will now be an hour long video that you can watch as opposed to read or listen to. Wow. Is this kind of, I realize I'm mentioning another company, but are you familiar with Blinkist as a voracious sure. reader? I'm sure you are. Okay. So I love Blinkist, right? Is it like an expanded version of Blinkist, but featuring the author? It, yes. They probably wouldn't like that analogy though. Yeah. No, visit litvideo.com and you'll learn more about it. They're turning all of my books into video books. It's an amazing thing they do. I love they it. interview the author and they pull together key stories in the book and they create video illustrations and it's a remarkable thing they're doing. They are convinced that the younger generation is going to want to read books by watching them in the hour. I mean, I think they're ahead of the game. It's the YouTube generation. And I don't have any criticism of it. I, I, I mean, when someone says they, they read my book, what they mean is, and in many cases now, they listen to it on audio. It's not how I choose to read. I choose to still buy print books. I've got seven of them behind my computer right now that I'm reading. It's a new marketplace. And I think they're going to crush it. 
I think that lit video, it seems like they sat down and they said, what business is going to put us out of the business and how quickly can we create it? And they did. Simon and Schuster should have said that. Okay. Well, opportunity missed. I'm sure they did. So last couple of questions. Actually, let me do this, Scott. Where would someone go to connect with you? So we talked about where to connect with your book. What about you? Well, my, my, my wife says I'm not hard to find. And that wasn't a compliment. She thinks no. I'm over she, she thinks so, you're everywhere. She thinks I'm everywhere, except for here at home. Uh, you can find me anywhere. My website is scottjeffreymiller.com. All of my ink columns are on there, all of the interviews. I'm now a host for bookclub.com. And so the interviews are there. You can, you can follow me and connect on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, soon to be on TikTok, Facebook, Clubhouse. If you're looking for me, you're going to find me. I'll be there. Okay. So here's our, our zinger. Are you ready for it? I'm re- bringing it on. By the way, your, your comment about speed to execution should not be lost in my, my, my responses because that's a great, it's just, it's the most agile and nimble and fastest people are winning. Don't, 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 don't let your comment get lost in mind. So Scott, I think, I know we need to have you back on because I want to talk more about leadership. And there's some other nuggets that you shared right before we turned the cameras on that were so good. But I would love us to explore this whole speed of execution thing because what one of the things, that was my assessment, but I'll take it a step further and then I'll go back to the original question I was going to ask you. I had shared with one client when she was asking this question, I told her that I've correlated academic success with delayed execution and that when I'm starting to work with a client and they have a master's degree or higher, I immediately go, well, this is going to take for friggin' ever. <laughs> and don't hear judgment here, hear experience. So one of the things that I shared when I was talking about speed of execution is that when I went to school, I was originally trained as a scientist. So I have a biology and chemistry degree. There's a whole lot of analytics, right? And what that meant is that I was really good at analyzing all the data and then I would make overlap, you know, Venn diagrams and peer reviewed studies and all this stuff here, slow execution. And so when I became an entrepreneur, my scientific brain hindered me because when I would approach something, I'd want all the data. I'd want to assess it all. I would want to do a comparison and dot, 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 dot. This is not the mark of a good entrepreneur. This is a great mark of an academic or a scientist not of a good entrepreneur. And so I said that in actuality, my academic career, if you will, slowed my success as an entrepreneur. And so the the flip side of that is when someone who's just a gunslinger, they're like, yep, this will probably work. Let's go. They tend to do really well. As you were saying that, what I was thinking about is Franklin Covey's CEO is a man named Bob Whitman, Harvard MBA, very successful, more money than you can ever spend. Sorry, Bob. (laughs) Very deliberate, very contemplative, but one of the wisest things he's ever said is understand the value of perfect information. And what he means is, is oftentimes the value of 74% or 86% information is just as valuable as 100%. And he's validating your point is sometimes you need perfect information, right? You're, you're acquiring a billion dollar company and they're cooking the books or you're marrying someone and you haven't checked their credit score, right? Or things like that. There are, there's times when, you know, perfect information is necessary. And then there's times when it's not, and it slows down your execution. So understand the value of perfect information. And I think to your declarative statement, it's probably less than you think, because you need to understand what business is going to put us out of business and how fast can I build it? Yes. Oh, it's so good. To quote Gary Keller, not Scott Miller. For sure. And I love Gary Keller and, and his books and his work. So here's the question. If you could tell the world one thing 
what would it be? Oh, definitely be kinder. Everybody's got something going on. Everybody's got a son who's vaping, a mother-in-law who's moving into dementia, a bill they can't pay. Your marriage isn't as good as it looks on Instagram. Be kinder. People behave the way they do for reasons. Most people are not sociopaths. Most people are not mean or evil. They're just coping. They're trying to get through the day. And if you really knew the backstory, what's going on with them, you would apologize or pre-forgive them. Be kinder. Wow, Scott, that was amazing. What it reminded me of too is the saying that proximity breeds breeds empathy. Uh, Isn't that true? Isn't that true? I heard a quote a few weeks ago, something like this. Everything in life is black or white until it impacts someone you love. So I've heard that. Yes. So true. And it's, I mean, I'm like living my life. It doesn't mean that, you know, I'm a religious person. I have certain opinions on certain things in the world, but it's so true. Everything is black or white until your son comes home and says X to you. And now your whole goal is to keep him alive, to keep him on the right track. I'm getting emotional because I have three sons that, you know, are being raised in a very difficult world right now. And so pre-forgive people, pre-forgive them. Don't just forgive them, pre-forgive them. They say something, you're pre-forgiven. Now, if it's like, you know, illegal or immoral, ethical, maybe you don't. But generally in life, pre-forgive your father-in-law. He doesn't mean to diminish you. He just has the EQ skills of a, of a porcupine. Forgive him. Wow. What I also heard is it's about them. It's not about you. It's just you it's might so you, you could suffer at their comment or the behavior, but that suffers a choice. Or you can recognize that it's just their own hell they're walking through. Nobody makes me sad. I choose to be sad. No one offends me. I choose to be offended. Pre-forgive people and be kinder. You have no idea what's really going on in their life. Mm, that's so good. I have a friend, Mark Keen, that always says, you don't know how much it costs to be that person. And I know it's so good. Mark Keen, it's not mine. Scott, thank you so much for all the value that you brought today. We, we're already going to get you into the books to come back again because I want to talk more about leadership and the other work that you've done. I love this conversation. I knew I would. I knew I would love both the, the, the quotes and the references to other books and the highlight of your book, this amazing idea of, hey, look at these 30 people and let's share this tidbit of information. We can read it one night, one chapter at a time if we need to. We all have busy lives. But I love that you connected the through line for all of these people. And I love your closing words on what you tell the world. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Don't let the irony be lost that the through line was that all the master mentors have an abundance mentality and you're doing the same thing. You're using your podcast to shine the spotlight on me. And I'm grateful for that. Thank you, April. Thank you. Do you see what I mean there? This one was rich. Everything from declaring the intent of meetings to behaving ourselves into reputations. But I want to make sure you grabbed all that insight about the high courage conversations. I know I was taking notes. So let's recap on that piece. So number one, reframe it from I have to have to I get to have. I get to discuss some of their own self-limiting behaviors Calling it a self-limiting behavior, man, that reframes it in our own mind, taking it from criticism to, hey, this is the thing that's getting in their way. This isn't a thing you don't like about them. This is the thing that's hamstringing their success and let's get rid of it. It allows, by addressing it, by addressing it openly, it allows them to contribute more, to progress more, to do the things that they may want to do in the business, but have no idea why it's not working out. You can solve that as their leader. 
Number two, don't confuse facts with emotions and opinions. Don't fall into the trap of masquerading our opinions as facts. Number three, give redirecting feedback, less of this, but also reinforcing feedback. Do more of that. The spinoff from the sandwich is as great. Number five, tell them, this is the exact language he used. It was amazing. I need to have a high courage conversation with you. My intent is not to embarrass you or diminish you. My intent is to highlight behaviors that are holding you back. He goes on to say, I might even use the wrong words. I might need to do a do-over. He's asking for forgiveness in advance. Like, hey, I'm doing my best here. I'm not trying to attack you. This takes some ability. Like this is not how most people communicate. I mean, we can all think back to bosses that we've had. Is this the way this information was delivered to you? No, but it is the way that we can deliver information to other people. So that can change with us. Number six, be specific. I heard him give very specific examples. Hey, in our morning meetings, you've got a reason why you're not hitting your numbers and it's always this external reason. It has nothing to do with your own lack of effort. He phrases it better. Again, he's managing the the line between diplomacy and courage, but be specific about what the issue is and then how we can address it. Declaring intent. Do not try to embarrass them. I'm doing my best here. That really matters. Again, that balance of courage and diplomacy, be open to that. Know what it's like. And I think this was number eight, number nine. I should have numbered these, but here we go. The next one is know what it's like to be on the other side of that conversation. Know what it's like to be on another other side of a conversation with you in general. He goes on to say that he asks other people in his life what it's like to be in relationship with him. And that is a powerful thing to have. And to have that kind of, that level of self-awareness, that level of vulnerability, and let's Let's call it what it is, courage too, because sometimes we don't want to know what it's like to be in conversation with us. We don't want to know what it's like to be in relationship with us. Scott's asking tough questions here, but he's teaching us how to be better leaders, to be the kind of leader that maybe we've never had, but we certainly can be to someone else. Lastly, I loved his line when he said, people don't quit leaders who love them. Love your people have the tough conversations and show up and advocate for them. We're going to have Scott back on. We've got to talk more about leadership. There's so many things I wanted to discuss with him. I've got his playing cards. He's got great quotes on the back of them. Definitely go get his book, Master Mentors. It's amazing. He told you the particular story that you've got to read and we'll put links in the show notes, but connect with Scott Miller and we'll see you next week. Take care. Thank you so much for dialing in today. And don't forget, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you love what you hear, give us a five-star review. It means the world to us. Hit me up on Instagram at the April Garcia or check us out online at pivot-me.com. This is all made possible with the support of you listeners, the numerous contributors and our clients. Our music and production is by the amazing Rockwood Audio. Join me next time for more tips on how to hack success. And until then, make it a great day. Thanks, guys. You guys are amazing.